This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. I want to welcome you back to another episode of what I've branded Pivotal, since these interview-style segments tackle impactful CPG industry topics and lessons from the business leaders that live it every day. So if we were kind of putting together a 21st century beverage industry version of Mount Rushmore, my recent guest would have to be up for major consideration. From successful exits at Zico, Coconut Water, Core, and Body Armor, to his current involvement with Zoa Energy, Chamberlain Coffee, and Athletic Brewing, Danny Stepper is that dude. We had an absolute gem of a conversation where we touched on everything from the foundational importance of starting his career at Coca-Cola to how he unsuccessfully dodged Hollywood, yet that entertainment industry experience has proven extremely fruitful at LA Libations as the intersections of beverage and entertainment multiply. These are just a snippet of the topics that we chatted about in this episode. But without further delay, here is my recent conversation with the co-founder and CEO of the beverage incubator, LA Libations, Danny Stepper. So super excited to get into this conversation because I've been watching Danny's career from afar for many years. Um, not like in this like creepy watching from the outside the office kind of thing, but I think most of you know by now, like I'm a CPG nerd and one that appreciates and really respects how difficult it is to find gold within the CPG industry. But when someone's able to do it repeatedly, it's kind of mind blowing. So. We'll get into all that, plus how Danny's a little bit of a renaissance man. Uh, but beyond all of that, what was even kind of my, more mind-blowing for me was that, you know, unbeknownst, uh, Danny was, a, I guess, a little bit of a, a fan of, of my work from afar, reached out to me and wanted to meet at the last NAC show. And I think through that, like, 30 or so minute conversation, we kind of, like, went all over the place. I said, the next time that we do kind of have a conversation, I wanted to make sure that we recorded it because I think there was a ton of like insightful information nuggets, just, you know, stories and things that are going to come out that I think people would really appreciate. But uh, overall, thank you, uh, Danny, for taking time out of your day and, and chatting with me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Me too, man. Thanks for uh, caring enough to have me and look forward to getting into it. So let's start like, I guess uh, call that, you know, if it's Drake or whatever, started from the bottom. And I think this is kind of an important um, point within you know, the beverage industry or, or just CPG as a whole and thinking about, you know, starting and doing a lot of the different jobs. And, and I know something that I always end up doing, and maybe it's good advice, bad advice, but it's the advice I always give people is first time CPG kind of founders or people that are looking to get into the space and just kind of dabbling around it. And I always say like, if you haven't been in the space at all, you should probably get a job and you should get a job with people that are doing um, is it you know field sales or, or any of that? You need to understand CPG from like the ground level. Is that kind of how you thought of it, or was it really a, a thought at the beginning? But you hindsight look at it and go, yeah, that was foundational. I needed to have that experience. Yeah, it was foundational. I needed that experience, but it was not strategic by any stretch at all. Um, when I got out of college, I had a bunch of college debt and no money and and I had to go figure out a way to build a life. And so my plan was to find the biggest company that I could find and work my way up. And uh, crazy story how I actually got an interview with Coca-Cola Enterprises, um, which was the bottler at the time, the Coke bottler here in Los Angeles, uh, which is now Ray's. Um, and I got an interview and and they hired me and it was, as it turns out, the very, very, very bottom. Um, it, you know, I wore a uniform. Uh, I, I uh, drove a, a truck that said Dr. Pepper on the side and I met, you know, the big Coke truck at the back of the store in four, mm -hmm. at four in the morning. Um, they put me in Pacoima uh, because my first boss who now is, uh, 
you know, works with us. He's a partner of ours, Robert Macias. He, you know, he was uh, running the Silmar branch and he thought I was Mexican, even though I'm Italian because I speak a little Spanish. And so he said, you're going to go to Pacoima. And, you know, Pacoima is this little, you know, Hispanic speaking pocket of, of Los Angeles, not the safest place at four in the morning. Uh, I saw a lot of things that I can't unsee in that job, but that was my entree into the beverage world. I met the truck at the back of the store. They would drop it off. And my job was to fill the shelves and spin the cans and rotate, make sure stuff didn't go out of code. Uh, try to, I wasn't a salesman. I wasn't, uh, I was below the salesman. So my job wasn't really to sell. It was more to just put the product where it could be in front of consumers at the best spot where basically my salesman told me to put it. And that's true of my two business partners too. We all started the same way. And so I do think it's very foundational because at the end of the day, um, everything that we do still happens right there at that point of purchase in the store and how you show up in the store and, and looking for you know incremental locations and points of disruption in the store and you know trying to get in that consumer's grocery cart is really the goal and so you know we've come miles from there obviously but still pretty much everything we do still revolves around that first role so yeah it was transformational i was at coke for for nine years um i got promoted 14 times in nine years and they put me through graduate school at pepperdine which was their biggest mistake i um <laughs> i, I I had migrated to the Coca-Cola company and I was managing Coke's global business with Costco. So I, I had quite a ride uh, to get from there to there. Um, and they put me through graduate school and it was the, it was the first time that I like took a breath. I mean, all I did was work, 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 work. And um, I was living in Seattle, which I didn't love. Um, I'm a Southern Cal guy and the rain was, was tough. And, and uh, I just kind of took a step back and I, I realized I'm an entrepreneur. And I didn't even know what that meant. Now it's real sexy. Everybody wants yeah. to be an entrepreneur and, you know, hustle and grind. <laughs> For me, it was more just about I wanted to do things my way. When I took over the Costco business for Coke, we were the number one trademark in the world. And we were selling 12 cans with the dolphin killing ringers in brown boxes. And I'm like, we surely can do better than this, guys. And so I went on this journey to try to change, you know, the biggest beverage company in the world to adapt to a, a better way to do things. And I was pretty rough on the furniture, uh, to say the least, at Coke. Um, there was no going away party for me, I like to say, which is ironic because uh, you could talk to my therapist about my relationship with Coke. It's it's still ongoing. I mean, we just launched Costa Coffee for for them. Um, you know, they supported me on on four of the movies that I've produced and we've sold them a couple companies and, you know, Body Armor just exited to them a year ago, which was an incredible day for everybody. So. So, yeah, so it's a it's a long road of, of how that worked. But, you know, I fell in love with beverage. I actually left the industry for four years after I, I got chased out of Coke, which we can get into if you want. Um, but it, I was totally drawn back to the beverage industry and I love it. Um, it is a blood sport. It is completely grueling, completely hard. And, you know, it all starts with a founder with a dream that think they have the best idea in the world. Usually it's not, um, especially when they get started. And I speak for myself, all the all the brands that we've created, we, we really thought they were great on the first iteration. And you look back and you're like, what were we thinking? God, this is <laughs> terrible. Uh, but that's just part of the process uh, of this journey. So there you go. Yeah, I love it. There's a ton of like uh, tidbits that you threw in there. And I think one of the things that at least uh, resonated with me was when I started taking on, you know, beverage clients and, and things. And I came from, you know, more that uh, caps, powders, pills, sports, nutrition, supplement yeah. world. And there's a good, bad, or ugly, there's a different way of, I guess, doing business in there because of, you know, the formats or or the sales channels or yeah. whatever it was. But I came into, you know, beverage contracts and had like all these different ideas and probably similar to you, like a lot of people will push back and, and say, hey, this is what we've we've done for a while and, and this is the way that it works. And, and there's always this, I guess, struggle where you're working against maybe legacy models that will 
probably outlive you and I, yet there still needs to be kind of like yeah. disruptive, creative, entrepreneurial thoughts that somehow find a way to like break through in, in different ways. But I've I found a lot of times, you know, I was probably not the most popular person in the room a lot of times because I was always trying to figure out like, okay, I don't like the answer. This is how we've always done it. Like, how do we actually, you know, do something that's a little bit different that maybe is going to create more value, even though that could be frustrating with people in the room that are are, are willing to just say, hey, this is this has worked for so long. Let's just keep doing it. It's a total conundrum, actually. It's really interesting that you, you say that. So, because we meet with over 300 founders a year, right? And so we try to seat everything. Uh, that's our role. That's what the retailers ask us to do. Um, and I hate it when someone tells me about a beverage that I haven't heard of. Like that's that's my job, is to tell you know Mr. Walmart or whoever you know about new stuff. That's what they expect of us. But as you meet with these founders, it is a fascinating conundrum, right? Because I feel like I'm not a young guy anymore, right? So I, I hear myself saying, you know, well, this is the way that you have to do it, you know, even though that's so not how I did it, right? Yeah. I did every, I want to do everything different. So it is a fine line about, you know, finding founders that are coachable, that will listen mainly about the mistakes that I've already made so that they don't do it, but without extinguishing that fire of you should do something different. Right. Um, you know, water in a can, you know, seems yeah. crazy, but it's working, you know, so they're done. You know, you can't just say, hey, that's never going to work because you just don't know. I don't know um, what's going to work. Some of the stuff I'm still dazzled by and some of the stuff that I think will absolutely work often doesn't. So it is a it is a grueling, challenging, humbling uh, game, but I, I love it. Now, I want to kind of transition and in, in- and understand you mentioned that Coke had funded or or partly funded some of your um, movie projects. And I wanted to understand, like, how did you transition or what was that like passion or fire that got you into the entertainment or like media business? So there is none. Um, Most of us that grew up in L.A. um, don't really want to be in the movie business. It was never my dream or aspiration or ambition to be a movie producer. I didn't even know what that meant, quite frankly. It's, um, you know, I grew up playing Little League Baseball, going to church, very like kind of normal America stuff. But in LA, there's this pocket over here that you can't get away from, um, which is the movie industry. And all the biggest companies in LA happen to be, you know, the studios and entertainment companies. So there's always that stuff that's there. And whenever you start having any sort of success, you know, it's actually a small town and you start meeting people and 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 riffing. Well, while I was a Coke employee, um, a very prolific movie producer named Lawrence Bender, he produced all Quentin Tarantino's movies, Good Will Hunting, Pulp Fiction, Academy Awards coming out of his ears. He called me up um, and said, hey, I want to make this movie about soccer. And any way that I shoot it, you know, there's got to be brands present. He's like that. And, and I want to use real teams and real players. And it was it was right after uh, any given Sunday came out. If you okay. remember it was the Miami yep. Sharks and you're like, Miami Sharks, like, why yeah. did he just use the Miami Dolphins? Well, it turns out that's very complex to do. Um, but that's what we did. And so while I was actually in a, a Coke employee, um, I went to Paris with him and met with the president of FIFA uh, who endorsed this idea. Um, we met with all the FIFA partners. Uh, there was 15 partners back then that were paying $250 million a year to be a FIFA partner. And we came home with a check for 45 million bucks from Adidas, the shoe company. And he said, so when are you leaving Coke? And I said, I, I don't want to leave Coke. What are you talking? I'm not leaving Coke. Like I got to go to a bottler meeting in Toledo next week. You know? And he goes, no, 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 no. Let me explain to you what just happened. And I'm like, wow, I'm leaving Coke. So I called my boss and a week later I moved to uh, London and I grew my hair out like an idiot and became a movie producer, um, you know, and I did that for four years. Like I was in it and you learn a lot about industries and kind of what was confirmed for me when I was in that was these people live up to every cliche that you've ever heard about the entertainment business. And I didn't really miss Coke, but I actually missed the people at Coke, real people, right? There's not a lot of real people in the entertainment business. There's a few that I'm still friends with, but and, and I choose to work with still, but for the most part, they live up to all the all the cliches that you've heard. 
And so I was drawn back to the beverage business. And so I got involved with two founders from Iceland, Christian and Jan, with a company called Icelandic Glacial. And uh, Anheuser-Busch ended up taking a minority stake in that company. And I just said, I want to, you know, I had just created, you know, four movies, three of which were Disney movies, one of which was a Sony movie. And so I had this my that this entrepreneurial fire mm-hmm. and um, Icelandic Glacial wasn't my dream. It was their dream. And I was happy to help them with it. But I said, I want to go do my dream. And I called up. Um, well, I didn't call up because Dino and Pat had come and worked with me at Icelandic Glacial. And I said, let's go start our own thing. And we started LA Libations, which is now um, 14 years ago. It's amazing. And it's been a wild, uh, crazy ride. It, it has gotten really fun lately, but just talk to uh, our wives. We we did all the things that, you know, all entrepreneurs do, put our families in terrible positions, took crazy risk, um, kind of went all in, pushed everything in and, and went for it and just started building this business. And, you know, everyone, you know, LinkedIn's so powerful as you though, because everyone's following you on LinkedIn, you know, and everyone's like, dude, Danny, like, I see what you're posting on LinkedIn. You're doing amazing stuff. And I, I always tell people like, I only post the good stuff. Like, <laughs> trust me, like, if you were in the day to day of what we have to go through and the fires that are happening nonstop, it's, uh, it's incredible. But I love it. It gets in your blood. So that's kind of how it does. I still kind of dabble in the entertainment business. We're going to make a big movie hopefully this year. Uh, me and my friend Tucker Tooley. And um, the thing I do love about the entertainment business is kind of the same thing I love about the beverage business is the idea that you can have an idea in your head and turn that into 130 pieces of paper that can turn into global intellectual property. That even just talking about it right now, that that like gets me going. Yeah. I love it. And the same is true with a beverage, right? You can come up with an idea, a better mousetrap, um, something that's completely new and never been seen before, or just a better, you know, idea of a legacy brand that's got ingredient problems and you could tweak it like Body Armor did. So that to me gets me going. That's what gets me out of bed every morning, pretty early, by the way. <laughs> I think to your point with, um, and this is when I talked about watching your career from afar, I probably have seen, if we're talking the LA libations kind of phase, the the back half of it, which was probably the more you know, win-oriented, positive, you know, or at least from what you're sharing or whatever, you're, you're seeing those types of things. But um, playing it back also, like, it's probably easier to do it this way, but I, I kind of at least equated it to it's a mashup of both to you say like the love of of both beverage and and entertainment and though you might not be you know as in the 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 deep end of the entertainment or the media business i i do think because of maybe even where the beverage industry or just cpg as a whole has went like entertainment or just attention and all of that has become such an important element that you knowing some of those models and knowing how to pull those levers and where to go, it puts you in a good situation to be able to match up and and kind of put those puzzle pieces together with with LA Libations. And I know like probably some of the earlier brands and things are the ones that um, maybe didn't make it through that you guys had through the incubator, maybe didn't have as big of an element of that. But I know a lot of the ones that you guys have worked with recently do have a, a big element that is, you know, if it's kind of these celebrity packaged goods or these creator driven or, or have some at least element of like grabbing attention and, and understanding how to productize that. Is that like, I mean, I feel like though maybe you didn't think about it at the time, that entertainment piece like now plays such a bigger role in you being able to assess like who's going to win because of that element of like who can grab the attention and keep it. So 100%, and it is um, newish in in the LA Libations lifestyle. But now it's it's hard to imagine kind of doing it without that because it is such a shortcut. And I do feel like one of the reasons why all the talent is coming to us is, you know, we I, I personally understand how to talk to them, um, and it's different. Like I, it's a it's a skill set that I didn't have when I was a middle manager at the Coca Cola company, right? But because I've 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 created stuff and 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 made stuff and worked with talent and and I know a little bit how they think they're all a little bit different and then 
you know, the fact that it is a small community. I mean, it's a tiny community, you know, like we we launched Zoa with with DJ, with The Rock, and it's a small world. Jean-Michelet Sarah, who directed my movie, Ghoul 2, um, you know, was his, his director of choice. He directed Jungle Cruise and Black Adam. And so just to have those dots to connect and that familiarity and, and hey, Jama says Danny's a good guy. Like we were in the trenches together for years in Spain, you know, and we we made something. And 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 so to make that connection with DJ early on was very important in, in kind of building that trust. And then, you know, the fact that we have done deals with every major strategic, obviously the Coca-Cola company, uh, my partner, Molson Coors, who's um, we've got to definitely carve out some time and talk about the transformation that's going on over there. It's exciting. You know, but we have we you know we've done deals. I've done a couple deals with Bob Gangord at KDP. Um, we've done a deal with Anheuser Busch prior to our Molson Coors relationship. Um, so yeah, so the fact that we can connect those dots and you know, it's funny. Like when I'm talking with Emma Chamberlain, she wants to talk. Like, tell me, like, how what are those guys thinking? What are they looking for? You know, and and to be that kind of bridge between that big corporate strategic and and these creators is is really important and it's fascinating because they need each other they really need each other um the big strategics the the days of you know launching a brand with a super bowl spot and you know blasting it everywhere are kind of over i mean consumers want to discover things they don't want stuff shoved at them and the power has really jumped to the creator right yeah. whether it's you know, The Rock or, you know, I saw your thing that, you, you you know, you're wondering who Mr. Beast is going to work with or, you know, Emma Chamberlain or 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 what have you. Um, these people bring audience and, you know, the retailers are now recognizing it big time. And so they're calling LA Libations and they're saying, hey, we want young women in our stores. Emma Chamberlain's a great way to bring that audience in let's let's party let's talk about it and so it's just been a really interesting dynamic and we didn't plan it this way but we've kind of landed here and and it's uh it's fun you know um it's still hard nothing's easy you know we launched zoa and you know there's been a lot of press this week about it um about how successful it is but believe me um it should be 5x more successful than it is right now we made every mistake that we could with that brand thank god we have the rock and the power of his voice um the liquid has always been amazing but we made mistakes we launched you know 10 SKUs, five of which were 100 calorie terrible idea um and then going and unwinding that you know putting it in the molson Coors system as really their first lean-in brand for non-alc um, there's a lot of growing pains on their side, which they've acknowledged, and they're getting better and and and, and tweaking and learning and fixing, and and now we got really crazy momentum. But even with all that, it's still like really really hard. Everything's hard, you know. Everyone that thinks it's easy, and and one of the problems that I have with the founders that want to work with LA Libations is they think we're a silver bullet and mm -hmm. we're going to solve all their problems. So we try to be very upfront and say, hey, look. The odds are way against you, right? Only 2% of brands get to 10 million in revenue. That's a fact. Study the UPC codes for the last 10 years. That's an absolute fact. Now, our batting average is better than that, better than 2%, obviously. But we fail all the time, all the time. And, and obviously, we don't talk about it as much as we do other, <laughs> our successes. Uh, but when we're having those one-on-one -on -one conversations, it's very important. We tell people, like, look, we're, we're going to tell you where the bodies are buried. You got to be coachable. Um, but this is your brand. And ultimately, it's going to be successful. You know, we'll help. We'll put top spin. You know, we have deep, deep relationships, um, not contacts. There's a lot of a lot of wannabe LA libations companies popping up that say they have relationships. They're, they're, they have contacts. They don't have relationships. Yeah. And um, our relationships are really deep because we've spent 20 years on airplanes. Dino, Pat, myself, you know, away from our families, you know, going to godforsaken places like Bentonville, Arkansas. Just kidding. It's not that bad. It's no, it's, I was going to say, it's pretty nice there. <laughs> it's awesome. It's a lot nicer than it was when we first started going there. Um, Cincinnati, I'm there all the time. You know, Dallas with 7-Eleven. We're, we're all over the place. But that's why we have the respect of, you know, the Joe DePintos of 7-Eleven and, you know, 
the John Ferners of Walmart, like, you know, they they trust us because we've been doing this for a long time and we have a, a habit of, you know, doing what we say we're going to do and being honest that, you know, we think this is a good idea, but it might not work. And um, having that humility has, I think, been a big part of the DNA of our company um, that probably a lot of people that don't work real closely with us see. But people that do work closely with us, they say that all the time. What I hear, the feedback I hear is nobody works harder. Uh, nobody grinds like we do. And, you know, we we are very eyes wide open about how hard and challenging this is to, to find a way to win. What you just kind of mentioned there is super important because I think that, you know, you're talking about The Rock, you know, these these types of names that are the, the most powerful, you know, distribution assets that that are out there. And just having somebody like that doesn't necessarily create a win in the CPG industry because of how intricate and how difficult things are. And you can make a, a you know mistake um, that is somewhere up or down chain, and that creates a ripple effect that throws you off. And, and you kind of alluded to some of those things and, and why you're fixing some of those things and how that's going to help the, the, the growth. But I think a lot of people are falling into this trap of, of thinking just because I have a huge celebrity or a huge creator or, or anybody that is automatically going to be a win, but that's not the case in CPG. And, and I'm sure there's other industries, but this is what we're talking about where at the end of the day, there's so many different little steps and sub steps that can totally wreck the ability for that beverage yes. or that food to be successful. And for you guys to temper some of that. And also, I think it, it can't be kind of, uh, you know, overstated enough. I think the importance of being able to communicate to a lot of those, um, you know, talent individuals, because I know for me, it's taken years. Uh, I've I've been in many meetings where I feel like I'm frustrated because you I approach communication a certain way based on you know, the way that I think as a strategist and, you know, somebody that's probably thinks in game theory and logic and all this types of stuff, but that's not how they, they tend to be thinking about a lot of these things where then you have to start to get into their shoes and understand why are they being so passionate about things? Why do they care about certain elements so much? And a lot of times that gets missed. So you being able to, to talk the talk and, and be able to actually, you know, help that along, I think is invaluable to the situation. And then, you know, that point about, actually having these relationships and having at times some even like strategic partnerships and, and things that's deep that's something that you've built for a long period of time decades at this point and that has a ton of value when you're looking at you know, if it's go-to-market strategies for some of these brands when you're working with them from an incubator standpoint or just an investment standpoint or um you know just the, your ability to as a way kind of move markets in a, in a way that you would want it to be um I think all of that is 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 invaluable and really separates, I think, your business from, like you said, copycats or fake artists or whatever you want to kind of call it. It's it's people that um, are trying to maybe take advantage of of a little bit of um, value in the market and trying to project that as more than what it is, where you're actually building, you know, through some growing business model, integrated business model, you have a ton of different kind of businesses that I think are all kind of connected in that work well together, that make sense, that you own, that aren't necessarily even partnerships. I think all that stuff plays into, you know, what you're talking about. I think that is, um, you know, maybe not one, if you put it in a vacuum is is the 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 main element, but I think all these things together that you've accumulated over time has become something extremely valuable. Yeah. So I totally agree with you. And, and, and from the talent perspective, you know, if you people don't realize it, but if 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 you work closely with these people and you, you kind of dig under that, there's just a, there's a lot of insecurity with the talent because their career is based on winning and, you know, being successful and, and not failing. And so when you throw yourself out there, right? you're open to failing and that's generally not good because it's a big PR game for these for the talent. So, you know, to have a partner like LA Libations for them, you know, they at least know what they're getting into, right? They they know that it's hard. They know that we're highly connected at the C-suites of all the retailers, all the strategics. Um, so so we do take a lot of risk out, but at the same time, it's 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 very 
there's a there's a lot of uncertainty in in being a true entrepreneur, even for these big, huge stars. And so what we've done, to your point, is we've tried to vertically integrate our company so that we can control as much as we can humanly control. I mean, when we started the company, we weren't making brands, right? We were a broker, basically. And we put the word broke and broker. Believe me, we couldn't make any money. But um, but over the years, we started building muscles. And, you know, we now, you know, we built Relentless Trade Solutions, which is a merchandising company because we needed it. And because, you know, founders that we partner with, that we're strategic with, need it. So we created it ourselves because uh, we thought we could do it in a very co compelling and big way. And, you know, we just invested in high touch which is now High Touch Libations, which is a distributor here in Southern California. It's because the market really needs it. We've got big hopes, dreams, ambitions for, for that business, and, and Chuck and Zahra are amazing. Um, we built our own uh, marketing agency called LA Vibrations that's very focused on customer marketing. Like, we're not doing Super Bowl spots. You know, we're blocking and tackling, mm -hmm. you know, point of sale, sampling, you know, things like that, that early stage uh, founders really need, we need it for our brands. So we've tried to just go every step of the way and we got some more stuff coming. That's going to, I think, surprise a lot of people that I'm really excited about, but we were going to continue to vertically integrate and keep doing this. I want to bounce back a little bit. Cause I know you wanted to talk through a little bit around like the Molson cores, um, thing. And, and I think for me, Maybe people didn't even pick up on the name change that happened. I don't know if it was a couple of years ago at this point, but they changed uh, even the name of the company to Beverage Company and not um, was the beer company or, or whatever it was. It was, yeah. I think at that point, you realized there was changes happening. Um, and there's a lot of, I think, interesting things happening across beverage. And uh, if it's alcohol, non-alcohol, if it's the convergence of the two around holistic brand IP, or is it the... Um, even just the beer alcohol distributors uh, traditionally trying to di yeah. diversify their business and look at um, the revenue streams differently because of some of the trends that are happening with with alcohol consumption. There's just so much going on. But to your yeah. point around, you know, having ZOA and having that be the first um, big push in that new direction, you're you're kind of the test dummy, <laughs> you know, in, in in a lot of that where. It's a it's a brand that could win big, but yet it had to go through growing pains. Not only just as a as a brand, but as a as a partner with a distribution model that's yeah. completely different. So, so many things to touch on here. So, um, yeah, the day that Molson Coors announced their investment in LA Libations was the same day that they actually announced they're changing the name of the company from uh, the Miller Coors Brewery to the Molson Coors Beverage Company, and they said we're going to get into non-alc and other stuff beyond beer, and they're going to partner with LA Libations. Now, keep in mind on the, the context of that, um, you know, we had been coming off, uh, you know, there was a, t a moment when the Coca-Cola company owned 25% of LA Libations. Mm -hmm. And that relationship, because of a regime that's not this regime there, they invested in us, then a new regime came in. What often happens at big companies is you get some guy that comes in and says, oh, I don't even understand this relationship. I don't understand why you guys exist. I don't get the value that you create. And basically left us for dead by the side of the road. And, um, you know, we, we explored a lot. Uh, we had a lot of conversations uh, with Anheuser-Busch, and they ended up saying, hey, let's just do one one thing together. And we launched a brand called Oro with them. And then with Keurig Dr. Pepper, they said, hey, you know, let's let's do one brand together. Um, and we did Don't Quit. And, you know, Monster was, was, was flirting with buying us for a little bit, but we had to become employees at Monster. And I, I don't I haven't had a boss in a long time. I don't think that would work. <laughs> So, um, and then we met Molson and they, it was so refreshing to meet a group, you know, they're a big, relatively big company, not as big as everyone thinks they are, but they're a pretty big company. And in these big companies, what I've learned is there's just this incredible, like unearned confidence and arrogance and, and Molson didn't have any of that. Hmm. They basically said, we, we know what we don't know. And we want a partner that can do this. And the timing was incredible for us. Uh, we were running on vapors like fumes and um, they came in and, and, and breathed life into our company where we will forever be grateful 
for what they did, and and it's worked out for them very well. Um, you know, we brought the Zoa deal. Um, we we brought the Topo Chico hard seltzer deal. Like we got our ex-wife and our new wife to come together on that one. You know, <laughs> Coke and and Molson Coors, and and they're just a great partner. Uh, Pete Marino, Gavin Hattersley, um, they are they are really taking intelligent, uh, calculated risks um, about how to to change that company, and and you're starting to see some really great traction. Of, of some of the decisions that they made a couple of years ago, uh, us being one of them. But th- I, I still think it's all out in front of them. But, you, you know, one of the problems with, you know, launching a brand like Zoa, for example, is, you know, Jerry Kramush has this phrase, you know, make all your mistakes off Broadway. You know, well, when you have The Rock, you can't really do that. Um, and we continually break our own rule. Let's start small in LA and then we, you know, our eyes get bigger, you know, and, and we end up going huge quick. And then when you have a mistake, like launching a hundred calorie, um, you know, it's really hard to fix those things. And, you know, Molson, you know, is, it was learning. I mean, and, and now if you look at from where they were then to now, they are building this thing for speed. They are going to be a force in non-alk and we're just happy to be a little part of that yeah i love to see that i I mean i think it's one of the more interesting areas of beverage right now it's just all that that's going on with the evolution of of both alk and non-alk and and just kind of where that can go and and there's some you know archaic rules and laws and and different things that we're probably going to have to um be broken and 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 fixed and you know come to come to life again but um it, it no, is it, interesting. It's so exciting because we somehow are sitting in the middle of it, right? Yeah. Um, obviously, the Topo Chico thing with Coke and Molson, but the fact that Molson's getting into non-alk, you know, Coke's getting into alk, and, you know, athletic brewing we're very involved in, um, which is, you know, kind of changing yeah. the whole game. And we've been involved with Bill and the team very early on. And um, it's been really exciting to watch that. You know, we have a uh, uh, a brand called Ariba Chilada, which is, you know, a Michelada that's like kind of a Clamato killer, hopefully. Sorry, KDP. Um, but that's hopefully that's what we're trying to do is disrupt that. But that that there is just a huge, you know, mashup for Alk and non-Alk. And, and we, we are sitting kind of in it. But you're right. The complexity is incredible with the, the legalities by state, you know, the route to market choices that have to be made. Pepsi's creating their own distribution. Good luck with that. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's going to be interesting, but it, it's it's all just really kind of getting mashed together right now. Yeah, um, just kind of jump to a question that's maybe not too closely related to this, but always something that I, I love to ask is like, where do you find yourself, at least kind of from a passion point or or just a um interest level recently like within the beverage industry is there like a certain area that you just seem to be like keep gravitating to or or just one that you're kind of saying hey this is probably gonna be really big uh soon and i need to be you know up to speed as quick as possible on some of this stuff so you know look when when adidas gave me 45 million dollars to make some soccer movies right um that was the first of its kind, right? A brand financing movies. Coke came in and and you know did a bunch with that those movies as well. And I just think that is something that I'm very passionate about. I had a joint venture with Relativity Media. LA Libations was actually in a movie studio for about four years. That's where our headquarters was at Relativity Media. And the idea of integrating brands and content. And I know everyone's creator, creator economy, creator this, creator that. It's, it's not just, I, I don't think, um, creators, but I think it's content. So, you know, I'm friends with David Glasser and Taylor Sheridan, the guys that, you know, created Yellowstone. And um, the sequel to, to Yellowstone is called Four Sixes, and, and they bought the ranch. And we launched a beer and ready to drink cocktails. I actually have it right here, a little commercial. But it's called Four Sixes, and we believe that's going to be like a household name. So... To me, that gets me going, right? And it is like this weird world that I found myself in because I've I've done the entertainment stuff and I've obviously done beverage since you know the earliest days of my career. So that's fascinating. Um, I also believe that consumers don't trust big companies like they did decades ago, but they do trust creators, right? So 
Um, and I think big companies are realizing that, right? And so they're trying to figure out how to work with creators so that they can, you know, have that audience, uh, you know, brought to themselves. So as opposed to just launching a brand with a trademark that no one's heard of, when you do something else like Chamberlain Coffee, which is really fascinating with the momentum that, that we've got cooking with that thing, um, it's 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 insane, you know. Um, so that's what kind of gets me going. Um, there's a lot of work to do, and and but I also believe there's only a few that matter enough to move the needle in that mm -hmm. space. Um, you know, everyone's like, oh, we got to get YouTubers. You know, there's there's like Mr. Beast up here. Emma Chamberlain right here, and then everyone else is like, <laughs> I mean, when, when people like start learning about what's going on there, it's not like there's thousands of influencers making billions of dollars. There's not. There, it's kind of like the movie business. There's like A list, and then there's like B list and D list, you know. So, you know, I want to work with the the A listers, and that's really what we're trying to do and what we're focused on, and and we are. So. Um, that's what I, that's what kind of gets my blood pumping. And then just building the company, you know, uh, we're 80 people now, which is blows my mind. And when you're, you know, I've, I've constantly seen where the guy that, that, that creates the company isn't the guy that should run the company <laughs> guilty as charged. Um, so thank God I have really great business partners, uh, with Dino and Pat, and and we're bringing some really incredible talent into the company, and we've developed some incredible talent, you know, with with Bonnie and and Robert Macias and Kelsey. Like we have really great people. So those are kind of the two areas that I'm, you know, really kind of focused on for the next five years is is building the company, growing up as a company, and then you know being on the tip of the spear of this new content and brands getting mashed up. Yeah, I think uh, I agree on the you know, what's next five years on the that intersection of content and and how that plays not just from the creator side, but you know, like you said, is it franchises or or wherever? I, I made a piece of content. I don't remember when Stranger Things that last season came out, and and I said, you know, Netflix, some of their hires they were doing, some of the things how they're trying to productize their their business, but also just some of those major. Um, you know, kind of titles that they had, they were working in a way I, th I thought was unique. They they kind of made in real life the pizza that you know kind of resembled it, and it like, and it did extremely well in Walmart. And it did you know it was one of those things where people could then experience something that wasn't just on a screen. It was something that they could actually come and consume and and wherever. And I think there's a ton of those like creative intersections that could happen now it takes somebody that actually has the vision to kind of make those things come to life and to your point not all of these uh different franchises are actually powerful enough to make something that is commercially you know exciting for people but yeah. i do think you know even if we move you know downstream five years from now or whatever and and some of these more retail points become frictionless or whatever like the what's a win like maybe 20 million is actually what used to be a billion or or whatever like the the numbers become smaller because yeah. it's easier to build those things and maybe you yeah. can you can actually leverage smaller creators and and those types of things uh, you know i don't know that maybe it moves it in a different way but i do think like all of that stuff is going to keep weaving in and out of each other it's just a matter of like where can you find the points where they hit together to actually make a difference right no, I, I, I totally agree. And I think, um, you know, it's interesting because it's kind of like a unicorn, like the big strategics are like, let's go small, right? And let's get really small. And then when VEB started at Coke, it was like, you know, we're focused on really tiny brands. And they're like, that's too hard. Let's only do really, really big brands, you know? And now, you know, all of them are kind of thinking, well, maybe it's small again. And it, it kind of just depends on who the executive is at the time and yeah. how good are they selling North. Um, but I think you're right. I don't think 20 million is enough to get the strategics out of bed. Yeah. I mean, that's the other misnomer in, in, in our world is everyone thinks that these exits are, are few and are, you know, happening all the time. They're not. They are so, so few and far between. They are so hard to get done. And we've been fortunate to be, you know, along for the ride on, on quite a few of them. But they just do not happen. I mean, and and so the insecurity and the paranoia that I have is as great as it's ever been. Because 
you're only as good as your last one. And, and, and you know, I, I just know how hard they are to come by. And it's not going to be a $20 million brand, right? I don't see Coke or, or KDP or, or Pepsi, you know, buying a $20 million brand, right? It just clogs up the system. It's too small. So it's got to it's got to have some scale. The big question is, what is that number? You know, and that number has danced around. At one point, it was 10 million in revenue. It ain't that anymore. Then it was 75 million in revenue. And I mean, I think it's I think it's still much bigger. I think it's you know triple digit millions for sure, just to become even minor, minutely interesting to a strategic. Yeah, I think to your point, when we're talking beverage specifically, I do think you know because of the models in, in which that they're going to be put into, it's you know it has to make sense from a higher number, and that's why you do see those you know big impressive ones that come because you got to have a couple. You know, if it's 100 million, 150 million, whatever it is, is like, it has to make sense on that truck that has a certain, you but know, uh, square inch deal. that they know it, it turns a amount of revenue. And it's like, why would you put that on there and, and kind of clog it up? You only have so much time in a day to to do these things. And why do that when there's other opportunities out there where I think there's other you know, if it's food or, or, you know, other categories that maybe make more sense downstream a little bit more because of the distribution models. But to your yeah. point, I, I think with beverage, like it still needs to hit a certain level for the, the big people to, to make sense. Maybe they, they figure out a new operating model where then, you know, they work with people like you, where they basically take um, and, and have you run the smaller brands, incubate them to a certain point. And then as they mature, they move upstream or whatever, because in the, the business, uh, you know, bureaucratic model in, in terms of how it works and how slow and everybody wants to kind of, uh, you know, add other elements to it. Like it doesn't work with startups that need to be quick, nimble, fast, you know, make decisions quick. It's like it, it, it just doesn't make sense until it gets to a certain level. But here's the other side of that. So, you know, everyone's saying, no, winter's coming. The economy is terrible. It's it's not about just growing the top line now. You have to, you know, be profitable. Uh, we're dealing with heavy liquid here. No one's profitable until they're at 50 million in revenue. And if they are profitable, they're tiny, right? But the strategics have also gotten smart. Like they don't want to write an $8 billion check for a company that's losing money, right? So they're putting EBITDA components into these things, which is smart for them. But for the founder, it's like, how do you grow to be big enough to matter to them and still make money? Yeah. I mean, you better have an incredible margin structure, right? You probably need to give up a lot of the company on along the way to people that can move the needle for you um, without spending money on marketing. So it kind of gets back to the creator economy, right? If you can drive yeah. traffic and not have this huge marketing spend and, and to you know to get to where you need to go, that that definitely helps. But that is the conundrum. I mean, all, all these you know people are saying, oh, your brands, you know, all these private equity firms are like, come talk to me when you're profitable. Well, sorry, you're you're not going to ever do a deal with a small brand because they're not profitable. Um, just is what it is, and people will learn, and it'll swing back and forth. And and we've seen it swing back and forth before. And right now, it, it the, the the more fascinating thing for me is the fact that. And I know all their deals, right? I know all the strategic deals and they're like, you got to make money. Like it's got to have some EBITDA. And now they're even like trying to negotiate exits as 50% a multiple of revenue and 50% a multiple of EBITDA, you know? So it might be 2X revenue and 12X EBITDA. And as a founder, that sucks, right? I mean, yeah. that's not going to be a good exit, you know? And I, I fortunately was raised by wolves, by guys like Mike Rapoli and, and, and Lance Collins and, and even there, you know, they they can figure it out because they've been doing it long enough and, and they know the playbook. But for a lot of these founders that have never done it, it's harder and harder than ever, you know, and now capital's drying up. Um, it's going to be a really interesting year for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think that and to bring this back to like I was saying where I cut my teeth at, you're seeing, you know, even that be. A, a unique model, I think, and we're talking mostly probably like with these functional beverages, but like they start as something that has a much better margin structure like um, supplements or sports nutrition. Um, you can build a substantial business pretty quickly. Use that to basically be your bank. Then when you want to do a, be a beverage, you already have brand recognition. You have some existing kind of model that can work. And then you're able to kind of fund that 
to get it up to scale and get it going. So you're seeing that like if it's C4 or um, even to a smaller extent, I know like Celsius, but had its issues for a long time, but like the beginning, they used a more like nutraceutical angle to their approach. And there's other ones like if it's ghost or if it's rise or if it's, um, you know, uh, Lonnie new or, you know, all these ones were like, they started and they, they have substantial supplement businesses that are, churning cash and then you can use that to kind of fund your beverage play but also the focus i mean you're 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 talking about a channel that you're you're incredibly knowledgeable about but one one of the things that like i was thinking as you're saying this you know when we got involved with zico coconut water when it was about two million in revenue it was tiny they were basically only selling to yoga studios Hmm. but the reason why coke invested in that early different world all that but the reason why is they had so much traction in one specific audience that these people just loved it they're passionate about it you know and so you're right like if you can build out in a channel that you can extrapolate out or a strategic can extrapolate out and say oh my gosh this could be you know, incredible. So it's going to be fascinating to see where it, where it all plays out. But what are the other channels like that, which is really interesting? I think food service is one that's really interesting. Like a brand that I'm obsessed with right now is a brand called Tractor. I don't know if that's on your yeah. radar that KDP invested in. Uh, I've been involved with those guys for a long time, way before KDP. And, and nobody really knows what's going on there. I do. It's fascinating, like what to see where that one's going to go. But once again, they found their lane and yeah. then they, they just keep growing it out. So I think the conversation met every expectation I had for uh, <laughs> insightful, fascinating, jumped all around, great stories. So I appreciate all the time that you shared with me, Danny. I think the audience is definitely going to love this episode. Listen, I hope so. Um, you know, it's been great getting to know you and I appreciate the time that you care. And I'll leave you with the thing I always leave everyone with. Don't quit. (laughs) I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. If you have any comments or questions about anything I discussed during it, open the podcast episode notes and click on any of my social media account links to reach out to me directly. 